My Jesus, I love you, for you are mine. You gave me your heart, your body, and everything for me. As I receive you, I want to resign all the follies of my sin, and I want to love you more than ever. Now speak to me and each one of us through the song and the Holy Spirit that my heart and my body and everything of my life becomes yours. In your most loving name I pray, amen. The hymn for Friday, Passion Week of 2022 is a When I Survey the Wondrous Cross by Isaac Watt. This hymn is a perhaps the most well-known hymn of a Lenten season and the redemptive suffering of our Savior in all times. Even recently as 2002, Chris Tomlin made a contemporary version of this hymn in his song, The Wondrous Cross. A wonderful cross, wonderful cross. The hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, is more than 300 years old. And it was not just a popular song, but a paradigm-shifting song in Christian history. Yes, that's a huge statement. And I want you to remember this song is a historical song because it is a paradigm-shifting song. It was a game-changer not only Christians in the past, but also Christians in the present. For that, let me introduce Isaac Watt. He was born in England in 1674, the first son of a family of a dissenting tradition, dissenting Christians or English dissenters. Christians of dissenting churches back then believed that church should be independent of the king or any government's control, and the church belongs solely to God and his people. So they dissented the prevalent notion of their country at the time that a head of an English church is a king or queen. So they are sort of anti-establishment. You know, today in America, that is a perfectly standard. Back then, it was a dissension. And as a result, they were persecuted. So Isaac's father was a pastor of a dissenting church and was imprisoned twice for that reason. And also Isaac Watts couldn't go to Oxford or Cambridge University because these schools were related to Anglican Church. By the way, Isaac Watts was brilliant, gifted not only music and poetry, but also in logic and language such as Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. His writing on logic was a very popular textbook that printed in 20 editions. So I know musicians are smart, you know, and I, oftentimes I heard that musicians and mathematicians, they share the same gene, you know. So they, you know, you cannot be smart unless, I mean, you can, you know, musician cannot be dumb. They're not just an emotional bunch to play whatever instrument, no. They have to be smart and disciplined. I told you many times, uh, great theologians or uh, musicians. And at the same time, Isaac Watt was uh, physically weak and not healthy. He was unmarried for the rest of his life and lived on the goodwills of those benefactors who appreciated his gifts and heart for God. 
So after finishing his college in London, Watts came home and complained to his father, a pastor of an English congregational church, about the music in the church. At that time, churches in England sang only matrical psalms, matrical psalms during their worship. And Isaac Watts felt that those psalms were wonderful as a scripture, they did not tell the story of God's salvation through Christ's life, the cross, his death and resurrection directly. They did not celebrate the grace, the mercy, atonement, or second coming of Christ. So Watts complained you know, uh, to his father and his father told him, that, well, then, you know, if you can do better, do something about it. So Watts started writing hymns for their church's worship service. And he believed that worship should echo the theme of the sermon. This is very important. He believed that hymns should be hymns. Hymns should be the companion of a sermon and also theology. And by the way, that's why you know sometimes it takes me several hours to find the dedication song for our Sunday worship. And also sometimes it's actually several uh, uh, days and then I sent an email to our uh, worship leader that uh, I gave up and you picked something for me and then just gave them a theme. So I want you to know that uh, the dedication song that we sing on Sunday is just not just, you know, we're just picking up the song. No, it takes a lot of uh, research and, and, and searching. So Isaac insisted the songs in the church should be fully evangelical, not just supplements to the psalms. The hymns should be freely composed and not just to hold to the letters of the scripture. The hymn should give straightforward expression to the thought and feelings of the singers and worshipers, not merely recall the event of a distant pastor in the, a past in the scripture. So at the beginning, his hymns uh, stirred up some uh, controversy, but in 1707, he wrote, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, and it made a huge impact. I can imagine the first time when his congregation, or any congregation, heard and sang this song. Can you fathom the impact, the chills in their bodies when they sang this song? for the first time. So Isaac Watts wrote a 750 hymns in his lifetime, and by the time he died in 1748 at the age of 74, many English churches then were switching from rigid matrical psalmody to freer theologically based hymnody. So Isaac Watts is called father of a modern hymns. He's a father of a modern hymn, and all the classical, you know, father of a modern hymns, and I call it the, I said the uh, old classical praise song writers like uh, Charles Wesley, Fanny Crosby, and contemporary praise song writers that you all love, they are his children and grandchildren. So now as I read the this hymn, famous hymn, I want you to notice that song invite us to be present at the scene of a crucifixion of Christ and then see his suffering for us 
and examine its significance for each one of us. So let's look at the lyrics. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain we count for loss and pour contempt on all our pride. Our God forbid that we should boast, save in the death of Christ our Lord, all the vain things that charm me most, we would sacrifice them to his blood. There from his head, his hands, and his feet, sorrow and love flowed mingled down. Did I ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? His dying crimson from his head spreads over his body on the tree to the old world that I am dead, and the old world is dead to me. Were the whole realm of my of realm of nature ours, that one offering far too small, love that transcends our highest powers, demand our heart and our life and our all. Original text is that my soul, my life, and my all. In this song, I find the vintage example and the confession on paradoxical power of the cross of Christ. Here we see the paradox par excellence. Verse 2, my riches gain, my riches gain, nothing, nothing but loss, nothing but loss. And all my pride is what I pour my contempt. What I was prideful, now I despise it more than ever because of a cross, cross of Christ. And then verse 3 tells the union of a love and sorrow. How can a love and sorrow you know, exist, coexist? But on the cross of Christ, we see the utmost love and the deepest sorrow. And also thorns of a crown. Thorns of a crown. And then verse, you know, uh, 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 first, uh, third verse, once again, ask us question. Did they ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns composed so rich as a crown? Do you guys remember Charles Wesley's song, The End Can It Be? You know, there I told you that questions are more important than answers. The true, correct Christian theology is all about the deep questions, not easy answers. So Isaac Watts asked a rhetorical question. Have you seen a more glorious crown, the crown of thorns on Jesus? Which king's glory in this world is more awe-inspiring than the thorn crowns of thorns of our crucified Lord. And then verse 4 tells us the effects of the cross. Then I am dead to the world, and the all the world is dead to me. This reminds us of the uh, Apostle Paul's confession in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith, in the Son of God, who loved me and gave his life for me. And then finally, the song ends with a confession and dedication. Love so amazing, so divine, demand my soul, my life, and my all. The cross of Christ creates an inversion, an inversion in my soul. 
It turns everything upside down. Whatever charmed me most, now disgusts me most, because nothing is should be or is more charming than Christ's suffering love for me. It severs me. It severs me. It cuts me off from my self-centered life and my ambitions. It leads me to surrender everything to Christ, and that's my only desire and pleasure. So can you see that when we survey the wondrous cross, we surrender ourselves to Christ. When I survey the wondrous cross, I surrender myself to Christ. Like Christ, we now take our cross not as a burden or even duty, but as a gift and privilege. For my cross reflects God's greatest love to me. Let's keep surveying the wondrous cross today until we completely surrender to Christ this Good Friday. Now let us praise this wondrous, this wonderful song as our prayer for Good Friday. Ten. 